0: Covers the police or the independent study committee on an or the study committee on an independent police oversight commission. I, I I fumbled it this week. East Lansing Insider. It's Wednesday, December 16th. I'm Andrew Graham here today with Emily Joan Elliott and Heather Brothers. Emily, how you doing?
1: I'm gonna give the usual
2: response of hanging in there.
0: That is sort of this year has been a year of hanging in there. Heather, how are you doing?
2: Pretty much the same, hanging in there as well.
0: The Eli Hanging In There podcast <laughs> brought to you by... Alright, before we get into anything else, I want to bring a quick word from NPR's Peter Sagel. Hey, it's Peter Sagal. Yes, that Peter Sagal. Alice Dreger at East Lansing Info has locked me into a closet and told me I can't come out until I tell you this: donate $50 to keep Eli running in 2021, and you'll get an autographed copy of my latest book, *The Incomplete Book of Running*. Support real nonprofit local news for East Lansing by making your $50 donation today at EastLansingInfo.news/running. That's East Lansing Info dot news slash running don't wait it is hot in here so now we're going to get into our regular roundtable discussion and as you'll notice we have another different trio for the roundtable with heather here this week heather uh covers the police or the independent study committee on an or the Study Committee on an Independent Police Oversight Commission. I, I, f- I fumbled it this week.
1: It's quite a title. Who doesn't uh, fumble that title?
0: It's it's a lot. I just call it Study Committee. But Heather, you covered, they actually had two meetings already in December. Uh, your story about the most recent one will be up after we record this podcast, but by the time people listen to it on EastLancingInfo.News. Uh, what are sort of your, just I guess, your big takeaways from covering that that committee so far?
2: so um it's been pretty interesting i guess in general to see how people work through such a large project kind of where they start and how they kind of balance the smaller minutiae of doing the work and the broad big picture ideas that they all have so i've been covering them since october i think i've covered five meetings so far and they're done for 2020. so we'll see what they do in 2021 um, but it's been pretty interesting to see because I think the project that they're trying to do is is really big, and they're coming up against you know the city itself in the end of this. So I'm curious to see where it's going to go.
0: Right, and your most recent story um, is sort of about them, commissioners or committee members, rather, worrying about the ultimate powers the oversight commission might have and worrying about basically the, the community's perception of how independent they are and sort of, I think the phrase was police policing the police, mm-hmm. but sort of trying to make it seem like it isn't that and it's citizens and it's this body. Could you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Well, the, the study committee has been looking at a lot of different models for how this is done in different cities across the United States, from neighbors like Ann Arbor to Berkeley, California, So they're looking at tons of different cities and trying to find out how oversight commissions operate and how successful they are and what they do. So um, some of them are advisory bodies, right, that review uh, complaints and various things that come through the police and then make recommendations. And others are kind of more a part of the policing system, it seems. So I think that they're struggling with, you know, what, how this oversight commission in East Lansing is going to sit and who they're going to answer to and how they're going to cooperate with the police themselves, you know, um, cause they are really concerned about police transparency and community trust. And so they want the community to believe that they have this independent power, right. That they can do something um, to get information that the community themselves might not have but they're also worried about being perceived as another arm of the police that might be keeping information quiet or not releasing things that the community needs to know. So they have a really big task of even deciding like what the oversight commission, like where it's going to even sit, not even what their goals are, but where they're going to kind of sit in the city apparatus. And then also they're coming up against what the city is going to allow in the end, right? What Whether the- right you know the police union is going to allow them to see certain things and what the city is going to allow them to see so it's a big task
0: well i think it's also that what they're ultimately doing is they're going to do all this to make a recommendation so they can sort of come up with something that they think addresses all that and city council could not necessarily adopt that as such right um i think that's the other difficult thing about this is they're ultimately spending all this time and painstaking effort to make a recommendation Mm -hmm. and there's there's i i don't want to speculate on what might happen to it but basically that they aren't the ultimate decision makers about what happens they are a study committee right. uh, and i think that's a very interesting dynamic to it
2: oh yeah for sure you know they're putting all of this work into writing this professional report that they're going to submit in the spring um to the city council and that it might you know all be thrown out in the end right they they don't know
0: yeah Emily, you've loosely looked at this, but maybe not as, as in-depth as Heather and I. I guess, what, what's what been your maybe more 30,000-foot view of things?
1: I My takeaway, also, I don't cover it, but I speak to Heather almost every day, so this does come up in conversation, is I would have to agree with Heather just how monumental and large the task is that they have to do. And there's and not only in terms of the committee is a large one, but there's also then you have um, George Lahan is there. You have Kim Johnson, Steve Gonzalez from ELPD. You have Ron Bacon from council. So it's not juggling just the, com- the committee members, but it's also juggling these different viewpoints from the city who might have different th- stakes uh, in the game. So that's something that I find interesting is, what is the role of kind of the city staff? What is the role of the police in advocating for or accommodating some of these ideas for reform as well? Uh, something I want to find out more about.
0: Well, you're, the city staff point you bring up is good, too, because if I'm not mistaken, currently city staff and George Zohannes are working on a, a community survey about the police and the Oversight Commission. Um, I'm not sure of the exact specifics. Heather, you probably know a bit more about it than I do. But they are, they are also playing an important role in this. So I think seeing their involvement in it, and um, that survey interests me too, just to see the results of that in particular. But it, it, that's a really good point, Emily, that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people involved in this and a lot of different viewpoints and interests and worries all sort of coming together to make this massive recommendation.
2: Well, I know for the survey right now, um, the city manager mentioned that his office is putting together some kind of uh, preliminary questions that they might want to include, but they are waiting. Um, they're going to a professional firm uh, to actually like facilitate the survey, so they are looking at firms to um, right now to get their input on what questions should be asked to make sure that they hit, you know, um, the they get input from all the different groups in East Lansing and not just, uh, you know, a few community members. They really want to survey as many people as they can. So that's kind of where that is in the process.
0: Gotcha. Um, Moving on to some other business around the city this week, Uh, Emily, you covered school board this Monday and it was, I think I think I'm fair in calling it a doozy one way or another. Do you wanna take us through what happened
1: uh, yeah, i my article only you know scraped the top of the iceberg of everything that happened. There were more plot twists than the usual school board meeting. Um,
0: Are there ever plot twists in school board meetings, really?
1: One, you don't know what's coming in two hours of public comment. sometimes. That's Um, fair. But usually, you're right, we have an agenda and we know what the greatest hits of a meeting are going to be. And the greatest hit then that my article had to focus on was this issue of will students return to school? Uh, The board had initially set a date of January 19th as a return date for all students. The plan that was approved sets a timeline where children who are part of the special education or English language learners programs will go part time starting January 19th. K through two, I believe, February 1st and then three through five uh, February 15th, and the middle school and high school, March 1st. And state policy says in the return to school, the younger kids have to be prioritized, and it's also easier to keep them contained in one classroom, which then makes contact tracing easier, where middle school and high school students switch classrooms and might have different kids in each of the classes they're in. Uh, but the, I think, major... Thing that kind of came out at the meeting was the amount of spaces available is dependent on how many teachers are willing to go back and teach in person. So, no teachers are being forced to teach in person if they don't feel safe. Um, So, maybe the teacher doesn't have an underlying condition, but someone in their household does. They then have the option to stay home. So, the teachers will be surveyed over winter break then parents can submit an application for their kids to return in person. And it'll be based on need, but the hierarchy of needs that'll be considered hasn't been released for privacy purposes. Um, We could assume certain things like maybe where someone is in terms of their education issues otherwise might play a role, but that is kind of an unknown entity right now. Um, in addition to that, the other major points were uh, in good news the gift card drive that we had advertised um, in Eli for people to donate to families during this upcoming food pickup on Thursday, it raised $16,000. So collectively, oh, wow. East Lansing came together to give $16,000 in gift cards to grocery stores and local businesses. Uh, Dori Lyko, the superintendent, her contract, uh, she was offered one through twenty twenty or June of 2026. Uh, we had three outgoing school board members, Erin Graham, Nicole Martin, and Hillary Henderson. They'll be replaced by Monica Fink, Elizabeth Guerrero-Lyons. And Debbie Walton come January. Um, those are probably the major points, but it was a two-hour and forty-minute meeting.
0: Is that long for school board usually? Or and
1: that is, it's usually about I would say one forty-five to two. Um, but You're sometimes so
0: low. council took three hours last night.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's been the times where it has pushed up against 11 which would make it a four-hour meeting but that's exceptional and i've also sat in a half-hour meeting for school board but that was only once
0: we love the half-hour meetings <laughs> rare, rare as they may be
1: um oh, i, think I do you have one more story from school board Oh yeah,
0: i was gonna say i was i think there's another thing you missed
1: yeah <laughs> yes um Tim Akers, the president of the East Lansing Educators Association, stepped down as president effective January 19th. Um, For our listeners who don't know, there was what Mr. Akers referred to as an inflammatory post on the ELEA Facebook page that um, had a lot of a very strong opinion about Remote learning versus in person learning. Um, it then circulated on the internet and was picked up by Brett Bart um, and then became a national cause celeb. And Tim Akers spoke and said that he wished he had taken the post down sooner. He hopes that the sentiments aren't used to breed animosity against teachers that these teachers are working hard, they care. Um, And he just pretty much said, the buck stops here. Um, The president, this issue happened, it's time for me to step down. But then the issue is, uh, after he stepped down, I think it was kind of a mic drop moment for the board. I don't think they saw it coming, at least based on their responses to it. They all did praise Mr. Akers for his representation of the teachers. And the teachers now have to work with the district or the union to come up with a letter of agreement about how the parameters for them working in person and to will be there through January 19th. But this is now kind of a period of flux when teachers maybe wanted solid representation.
0: I want to go back to the returning to in-person learning because I think a really interesting point or a really critical point you brought up was Basically that no one, anyone who wants to do virtual learning until the end of the school year is allowed to, and that's been known for a good while now, and that no one's going to basically be teachers or otherwise be required to be in the building. I think that's a really critical point that no one, basically every option is open to everybody in this one. Um, the only thing that seems to really be restricted, perhaps, is students who want to return in person and that we don't maybe know the limits on how many we'll be able to until we're right up against it, it seems like.
1: Right. So there will be some flexibility to try to accommodate as many students as possible. So you could go to a school that's outside of your neighborhood uh, is one thing. It's possible Every first grade teacher wants to go back, but no kindergarten teachers wanted to. They might shift grade level, but you obviously also can't put a kindergarten teacher with fifth graders either. Um, There's licensure issues and comfort zone to consider. So Mm -hmm. there's some flexibility, but it's limited. And it's just unknown right now until after winter break, how many spots will be available.
0: I, 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 return, I return to the same thought I have every time, is I'm so, so glad I'm not in school during this. Like, I just, that's, yeah, I'm just thankful not to be doing that. Um, I'm going to jump ahead to council now. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but... Last night, city council heard a request or held public hearings for Techsmith Corporation, which is an international software company headquartered in a township. Although I'm going to say it's Okemos because it's about a mile from Okemos High School where I went to high school. But they want to move their headquarters to a five acre plot of land on MSU's campus um, controlled by the MSU Foundation that they're or they're subleasing it from the MSU Foundation. Um, And they basically requested a personal property tax abatement, which required first that council turn that five acres into an industrial development district, which happened without much fanfare because that basically just means it was possible to grant the exemption. And then the discussion about the exemption was a lot more interesting. They talked about um, equity a little bit after some public comment, um, particularly one from Ann Hill, who noted that under the public act, Public Act 238 of the state of Michigan that allows for the personal property tax abatement um, states somewhere in there that it's for distressed communities. The idea being that sort of the the think you know sort of Michigan post-industrial the the Flint Saginaw Benton Harbor Detroit not not East Lansing basically um, was the sort of surmising of Anne Hill and that East Lansing is not really a distressed community and that this was designed to bring investment to those communities. But nonetheless, um, basically, TechSmith is well-liked. This company is something that East Lansing, these council members, want. Um, Though Lisa Babcock, she did note that it is pretty much unfair, simply that TechSmith, by being the shiny new thing, comes in and gets this personal property tax abatement when they're a multi-million dollar international company whereas other businesses that have been around in East Lansing for decades don't um, and she even encouraged them to apply for an abatement if they can and that she'd you know, give it special attention just because I don't think they're wrong for wanting TechSmith I think having TechSmith in East Lansing is a, a net good I don't think many people would disagree with that um, but I, I do agree with Babcock's point at least that just because they're the shiny new thing that's coming here, they're basically getting this, this tax break um, that other businesses, for whatever reasons, just either aren't eligible for or aren't in position to, to get, um, which I thought was a really good point. But all told, it's going to be like $225,000 over 10 years. So it's, I don't know. It's Well,
2: that's, this is interesting because uh, Jesse Gregg brought this up in the Arts Commission meeting in November and uh, about TechSmith. And she kind of brought it up in the context of East Lansing being distressed by the pandemic and how many uh, local businesses are struggling and suffering. And that Texas was kind of, um, you know, like a beacon of hope in the pandemic. So I think that's really interesting about the context for of what distressed means.
0: Oh, yeah. That got brought up, too. Um, I. I believe it was actually Eli's own Alice Drager calling in and just asking counsel to consider that as a private citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, she noted that. And I think that that's a fair, I mean, I don't disagree with that premise necessarily that COVID basically every community is a distressed community. Um, but I think the one thing that that jumps out to me too, and noted, I noted this in my story about it is no, basically, TechSmith didn't get asked if they would do it without the tax abatement directly. They said in one of their in, in some memo from um, city staff to to council f- f- at a prior meeting about the issue, it, it was in there somewhere that TechSmith had basically, I believe it was like they have posited that this abatement is necessary for the viability of this project or something, basically saying like they they won't do it if they don't get the abatement. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the meeting, they didn't really get asked if they wouldn't, or if they would still go ahead without the abatement. And their CEO said, the reason for them moving is because it's closer to MSU because they have a relationship and they want to get, they want to be able to better recruit and place jobs from MSU. And like, I think the direct quote was it's about talent acquisition. Um, so I guess like my, my big thing is I don't think it's, I, I, TechSmith is a good thing and it's going to be good for East Lansing, but I just think they could have at least been asked, would you do this without this like 20 some thousand dollar a year mm-hmm. tax abatement? And I, I'm not sure what the answer would have been, but I, that's a question worth asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a
1: question I have is, do small businesses have to pay um, some of the taxes that TechSmith won't have to pay?
0: I'm not entirely certain about that. I know in an abstract sense, yes, because that tax bill has to be footed by somebody. I don't know necessarily that in that 10-year period, it will mean personal property taxes go up for other businesses or anything like that. Um,
1: Oh, because that kind of does answer my question, because I didn't know if the personal property tax also applied to small businesses, but it seems it does.
0: Yeah, personal property tax, basically, it's it, the, the literal definition is that it's movable property. So it's just like stuff that isn't attached to the building. Um, so if you were a, a, a printing company, like your printing presses would be personal property. If you were a restaurant, like all of your pots and pans and stuff would be personal property. Um, so that stuff is all taxed if you're a business. And basically what TechSmith got is 10 years of not having to pay that tax. Um, and I, 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 really I cannot claim any sort of expertise on fiscal policy. I dropped the one economics class I took in college, but my my broad understanding and what Lisa Babcock said last night is that what effectively happens is when you're giving somebody else a tax break, the city is still expecting that revenue or needs some revenue somewhere else, and the burden will be put on somebody else's shoulders right. fundamentally i don't know how directly or where that ends up going but basically that's twenty thousand dollars a year the city can't count on and that won't be going to x y or z things at least right
1: to shift this conversation slightly i think there's something we should note on this podcast is that jesse Gregg always drops these
2: information bombs at arts right. commission it's true, she really does when she gives her um liaison update in the beginning of the meetings um i, I try to think like I pretty much always mention her in my articles, and Emily, we've got that entire article about restorative justice um from you know from the seed planted in arts commission so
1: right m s u is working with the city for students who violated some of the covid codes um it there's the city is involved in that they're organizing the volunteer projects that the students are doing and it's 80 hours of community service and i think also having to sit in on a meeting with people whose family suffered from covid Mm -hmm. and we only found out about this through arts commission
0: (laughs) (laughs) a couple other stories i want to get to emily you worked with uh sarah spawn or spawn to um right up that Downtown Management Board e-gift card program um, that they sold out rapidly, um, from my understanding. They didn't
1: sell out of the gift cards. Or they sell
0: out, just, but they raised a bunch of money rapidly, rather. Yes.
1: You can still purchase one, is just what I want our listeners to know. But they did matching funds for a bit, so if I bought a $100 gift card, then, right. I'd get a $100 one, and they had $3,000 for that, and that ran out. But, yeah, it's... I 30 something businesses in downtown East Lansing. Um you buy one gift card you can spend it at all of those places. And our article which is still on the front page of eastlansinginfo.news has a list of um what stores and restaurants you could use the gift card at. And it's all done electronically. You fill out the information and then the gift card gets texted or emailed to the recipient.
0: God, I love the future. <laughs> Um another one I wanted to get to, Emily, is you sat in on Linda Vale's regular um media press conference update weekly thing yesterday. Um I guess just where, where are things standing with COVID-19 right now as, as a vaccine is now publicly or not publicly, but a vaccine is available.
1: Right. So this story will also come out maybe an hour or two after the podcast tomorrow, but To recap, more of the same hospitalizations are, I think we have about almost 160 in Ingham. Not all of them are Ingham County residents because Sparrow in particular is a regional hospital. Uh, Hospitalizations are plateauing, but no one wants it to plateau at the numbers we have right now. Um. There are beds in the hospital, Sparrow's at 93% capacity. There are beds, but they also have shortages of staffing. Um, I, my understanding is they may have been short before the pandemic. Some people retired or left during the pandemic. And then you have caregivers in the hospital who are also contracting COVID, sometimes from outside. Um, they're maybe not always contracting it from patients. But there's wide community spread out there. So everyone is susceptible to catching it. So they're short-staffed, um, which makes care more difficult. The number of people ventilated is going up, according to Linda Vale, which is a concerning number. We also had noted for the first time there's two pediatric hospitalizations for COVID-19 and in Ingham. And... You know, Monday was kind of a day of hope with the vaccines being distributed. But I the press conference was a bit sobering on that front. I think everyone is optimistic about the vaccine, but according to Linda Vale, everyone, at least in this area, received less than they anticipated. And Ingham County Health Department did receive some. And they have, they have their own health workers, so they have health clinics throughout Ingham County. Those workers will be vaccinated, and they might also be responsible for vaccinating emergency service personnel, um, like ambulance drivers. And initially, Sparrow was going to take that on, but Lindsay Vale implied that Sparrow was struggling with everything else it has to do at the mo- at the moment. So Ingham County Health Department might take that over. So some of their vaccines might go there, and she released kind of what Michigan's plan for distribution is, and it's healthcare workers, but it's primarily like emergency services, ER, those frontline workers who will be coming in contact with COVID patients. And Amanda Darsh, her um, you know communications assistant who was there, said it will be. Several months before the general population is getting vaccines from Ingham County Health Department.
0: Yeah, my dad, who is a doctor but works in an PHP for Sparrow, is not one of these medical professionals who will be getting the vaccine anytime soon. Um, and I think George Lahannis actually mentioned something at city council last night about um, first responders, ELFD and ELPD. Um, getting vaccinated in the next month or so or something like that. And I think he mentioned Ingham County health department. Um, So it's kind of interesting that that's moving away from Sparrow and moving to the health department. I think the other thing, and just this is like a general note and something that sort of, I've seen a lot of, Oh, we have the vaccine. The pandemic is over energy, which is like, again, hopeful, good, but not the case. Um, So as, as tiresome as it is, still got to be vigilant and like emily said you know the numbers are plateauing but at a level that is not good so it's you know mask up and go buy burgers from crunchies and stuff like that um is there anything i forgot is there anything we missed
1: Uh, We have some spend localies that trickle out, and there'll be more coming out tomorrow. So just make sure you keep checking back there. We'll be running the series through the end of the year and probably into early next year. So we'll continue to highlight some options for restaurants, bars, uh, different small businesses, shops in East Lansing. But otherwise, it looks like we've hit on it.
0: We've really covered it all today yeah the spend locally series is really good lots of uh, a a true plethora of different places you can spend your money in east lansing and it stays in east lansing so i do recommend checking that out uh heather thank you very much for joining us today emily as always it's lovely to discuss the news with you both
2: well thank you for having you
0: thanks for listening